Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my Dating Violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster, and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code when dating hurts, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is part two of three parts with Lori. Previously, we heard Lori is now pregnant with their first son. But what so often happens, a child on the way only makes everything worse. Yeah, rough times when I was pregnant. I should, I, I'm kind of ashamed I didn't leave when I was pregnant. He was physical with me when I was with, you know, pregnant, pretty big pregnant. I don't remember what set him off. It didn't matter what it was. It didn't have to be anything. You know, I think... You know, I started to become a little cuckoo because I didn't know what was going on. So I was definitely um, throwing things in his face, like what is going on with these women, with our life and the way you're acting and why are you, you know, and and it was a lot of promises that he was going to change. And that's probably, you know, when we went to see counselor number three, (laughs) I don't know, you know, you obviously having the wisdom I have now, obviously babies don't make anything better. No, seem to do the opposite in these in these relationships. It seems like everything gets yeah. uh, heightened. Everything, the bad things get heightened. The parts, the parts you don't like. He was a good dad, though. But then you think about it, it's like, okay, if you're treating your baby's mother like this, and you know, you're really not a good dad. But he never treated my kids physically abused my children at all. How was he emotionally with the children? Do you think he was a positive? I mean, he was good with them when they were young. Influence. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a positive influence. I mean, probably until they got older and things got really bad with us. You know, I'm going to say, you know, when my son, you know, oh, here's a couple things. So probably um, my, my, by then I had two kids. Sorry, fast forwarding mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. One of the things I remember, my son, my youngest was two years old. He thought my name was bitch. Oh, guess he heard that enough. Yeah. And he called me that one day. Oh. And I was like, and Paul was there. We both were like, you know, you, that was, that was, I couldn't believe that happened. And yeah, I think we got into argument about that later on, believe it or not. And he, he, uh, he did have like his, 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 uh, the stuff that he would say, 
I mean, he always was calling me names in another time and probably around the same time period. And, and, you know, this is now 1990. Well, I jumped up, probably jumped too fast because my first son was born in 95 and my other son was born in 98. And, And so we're talking 98, 99. So 2000 when, when my son was two, when that happened. Oh gosh. So yeah, we, yeah, a lot went on in, in that, in that house. We had built a house in another town. Oh yeah, it's because we couldn't stay in the town anymore because I think he had too many girlfriends and he wanted to move out of town. So it wouldn't be, you know, the, there was the girl at the firehouse and God knows who else at mm-hmm, that time. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to, to move out of town. I was like, okay, all right. Once we got there, though, it was, it was really, really bad. I remember, uh, oh, okay, so they'll tell you this one. This one I'm not proud of, but it was, you know, several years after incidents with him calling me names and the physical and mental and all that. He was in another room, but it had, you know, the the kitchen had a doorway. So I was uh, in the kitchen and he was yelling from the living room into the kitchen something. And I, and I, I looked back at him and he called me the C name. Yes. And I had a sippy cup in my hand and I flung this. It was almost like a reaction. Like as soon as he said it, I threw it at him and it hit him right in the head. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And he got a couple stitches on that one. And that's probably the only thing I ever did. And I'm still proud of those stitches. <laughs> Shouldn't say that, but I'm not. You can cut that. For me. No, you deserve the <laughs> delivery on that one. I tell you, it was, he was, it I, you know, I'm, I'm thankful I didn't do anything to his eye or anything like that, you know. Wow. So after, you know, there was so many things after that. It was, you know, I, when I would try to leave, he would, he broke my um, passenger's window of my car one time when I was trying to get out of, I was trying to figure out if I could get to a, uh, I was looking into shelters because I just, you know, was that distraught and like, where can I go and what can I do? So you were in touch with domestic violence agencies too? There was two times where I was on my way. I had the kids in the car with me one time and I was on my way to find one. I was getting away and um, he got me. I had a pullover. It was at a, a park that I pulled over and kids got out of the car. And I, my, my son was pretty young and I was holding one of them in my arms and he just ripped him right out of my arms like you're not going anywhere. And I did. I got in my car and I, I left him with the kids. I had to get out of there. He threatened to kill me that day. I went to my sister-in-law's house and I told her what happened. Uh, yeah, she, she didn't know anything that was going on. And I had had, I just, I was at my wits end. Uh, she said, you know, you can, you can stay here as long as you want. And so I don't remember how long I was there for. Of course he found out where I was. I don't remember how and came and promised me the world again. And, and I went back again. Didn't get any better. Another episode I I just had like a nightgown on and kids were sleeping. They were both sleeping and he started something and he threw me out of the house. And I, I was smart enough to take my phone and actually put it in my underwear. It was the only thing I had. He, oh, he took my pocketbook, my keys. He's always taking my keys so I couldn't go anywhere and I had my phone. You know, it wasn't that long that we were in the house and, and there wasn't a lot of neighbors yet. The houses were just being built and I was sitting in the backyard in my nightgown with my phone. And that was all I had. And I was, he locked me out. What time of year was that? It was summer. So it was yeah. warm. I was, it was warm out. When you went back those times, did you, in your mind, did you think that maybe this time it will work out each time? Yes. Every you, time. You bought it. You bought every it. Every time. I tried harder. I did. 
because I wanted it. To, I really, really wanted it to work. Really okay. did. Yeah. Did you have family members maybe saying things to you like, you got to give this up or were they hoping you'd go back to? Never told my family. To this day, you haven't told them. Well, there was a couple instances at the end where, you know, I had to, you know, there was, we'll get to that one. <laughs> we'll get to that yes. part. Okay. So here's, here's a really bad one here. Now we're going to get into the nitty gritty of why police officers, wives, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of hiding, a lot of hiding because of what they do. We don't, you know, we're already, you know, women that are already in these relationships are hiding things and don't want things to happen. And it's worse because it, it affects you know, can affect your whole into more life with, with losing employment and, and, and then having it all over the news, mm -hmm. you know, that type mm -hmm. of thing. And I remember I had a new winter coat on and I had new boots and they had like a little heat, they had a heel on them. They weren't like snow boots at all, but it was, it was winter, it was snow out. And he, and we got, he, he was really, really bad that night. And I don't remember exactly what it was about or anything. I just remember I ran out of the house for my life. I ran out of the house and I ran down the street and I could hear a car coming and I knew it was him. And I like threw myself over a snowbank into a neighbor's yard and was laying and it was dark. So I like just ducked down in the snowbank as I could hear him screeching by in the car and I was laying there thinking here I am in my new winter coat and these high heel boots in the snowbank. What am I doing? This is insane. Like that was, you know, really yeah, bad. That's bad. That's bad. Yeah. After I heard him go by, I ran back into the house. I hid under the bed. <laughs> oh my. I didn't, it was cold out. I didn't know where to go. I think he had my keys again that time. I didn't, ha I didn't have any keys either. He had ripped the phone out of the wall phone upstairs was still working. So when I got back to the house and I was hiding under the bed, I, I, I didn't, I don't know what I was doing. And the phone rang and the answering machine came on and it was the town police department. It was a guy that I, that we both knew and he was looking for me and he wanted to know if I was okay. I didn't answer the phone. I stayed under the bed. He said, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming by the house. I got out from, from uh, under the bed, met him at the door. Shortly after Paul came in, you know, I was acting like nothing happened. Paul was saying, you know, we got into a little, little, or, you know, little tiff or whatever. So what happened when he, um, he had dro drove off down the road is he went to the police department thinking that's where I went. So he was circling the parking lot looking for me. Oh, I see. And this guy that we knew saw him and he said, I'm just looking for Lori. He was asking me questions. I said, yeah, I, uh, you know, I told him how I was, I was calling the police by then you could see the phone downstairs was ripped out of the wall and he was saying to Paul you know you can't do that and of course he knows he knows better because you know I evidently you know anytime somebody goes to call 911 you you know I don't know exactly what the, the law is but I there's some law about taking the phone away from somebody he was like okay so everything's all right you know and I was like yeah everything's fine and he left we went back to life again and you know there was other I, I remember listening to one of your other shows where the woman talked about being in the bathroom and I used to lock myself in the bathroom a lot because it was the only place I had a, you know, had a lock on the door and not only did it have a lock on it, but it had, the, I had it like a vanity where if I pulled a drawer out, it would be an extra lock if he got through the door. And of course he went through lots of doors, lots of doors. I remember one time our guest's bathroom downstairs had been, he had broke into it so bad it had had to be repaired by a handyman he was like wow what happened here you know 
and I helped them make up a story about it. Quite a lot of force on that uh, on the on the door jam. Yeah, the whole it was, thing. It was it right? was really it's bad and torn and, up and splinters everything. Yes, and and it was you know I, that time yeah. I remember being in the in the bathroom on you know and he was in my right in my always in my face, you know he's he's so angry that the spit is hitting me in the face and actually did spit at me too for real like like really bad and then i remember one um we went to um an eap professional this is after he had threatened to kill me the first time so so help me what is an eap yeah so we went to an eap emergency assistance program through the police department and we went to this um counselor and you know i told him a lot about what was going on and that he threatened to kill me and i was really scared so we had that counseling session and we made an appointment for the following week. So it's only a week later and we come back to the same guy Yes. and we sit down and he says to me, okay, is everything okay now? Oh. And I just, I, I said to him, I said, you do remember you threatened to kill me, right? <laughs> it's a week later. <laughs> I guess the fact that you were alive, he figured things were much improved. Like- it was weird. So, like magic, the fact that you met with him, magic would happen in a week's time. A week, right? and so we never went yeah. back there again because I was like, I'm not going back there again. Yeah, he clearly doesn't get it. No, he did not get it. You know, there was you know a lot of breaking things. You know, he always broke stuff that meant to me, meant stuff to me. You know, or ripped stuff apart. Or I had an Easter basket I had since I was like, born. You know, someone had bought it for me, and he ripped that apart. He was always breaking things and, you know, destroying things that meant stuff to me. I've heard of that before. That's kind of a surrogate thing. It be, kind of becomes, it's a, it's a, it's a way of getting you without actually getting you physically. Those things represent yeah. you. So therefore they're the things that get torn up. Yeah, and broken. definitely. Yes. Definitely. Uh, and there was a lot of pretending around the kids, a lot of, a lot of uh, trying to, to pull myself together and you know, I remember standing at the, the kitchen window and the kids are just playing. And I, I was like, what, what am I doing? Where am I going? You know, I definitely need to do something. We were going to put an addition on our house. We had a, one of the handymans that was probably coming to fix one of the doors. He happened to be over. I mentioned to him, I said, hey, I said, did you get the plans together yet for the family room? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get together, you know, real soon on that. I was okay. And he left and then. Paul said, what are you talking about? We can't afford that. And I was like, what do you mean you can't afford that? I know we, I knew we had the money in the bank. I'm like, I, I was like, what does he mean we can't afford that? I know the money's in the bank. So he always handled all the finances. He was very, he was great with money. I never had to worry about any, never worried about money. Mm-hmm. You know, could buy whatever I wanted. So I started opening up mail. So he liked to go to the casino. I found a lot of, a lot of credit cards, a lot of, a lot of money <laughs> when I when I started paying attention to the to the bills and I I now, uh, do you mean money you say a lot finding a lot of money now it's money that you had or money that you owed money that we owed okay credit cards and and the the money that was in the bank for our addition was gone that's where it went yeah it went to the casino how much would you estimate was blown on gambling the first time <laughs> um he was when I when I found out whatever you'd like to tell us. The fact that you said more than once. I know when I when I started going through yeah uh, when I started going through all the um, credit cards it, it was uh, like a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Yeah. That's the total. Or is that the first time? That's the first time. Hundred thousand. Yeah. 
The When Dating Hurts podcast is sponsored by Nom Nom. I'm a big advocate for better food for pets. When they eat healthier, they live healthier. And Nom Nom's food for dogs is full of fresh proteins a dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. Nom Nom meals are pre-portioned for your dog's exact caloric needs. So it's the easiest way to take the guesswork out of feeding your dog the best. Just tell them about your pup, age, breed, weight, allergies, and protein preferences. Get fresh, prepackaged, totally nutritious meals delivered directly to your door for even less. Order Nom Nom today. Go to trynom.com slash when dating hurts and get 50% off your first order plus free shipping. And Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. That means if your dog doesn't love each meal, Nom Nom will refund your first order. Nom Nom is real good food for your dog. Head to trynom.com slash when dating hurts. Yeah, so I was, I was, you know, okay, are you thinking that you have a, um, a gambling problem? And that caused a lot of tension and uh, I didn't know what to do. Anyways, ended. I don't even remember how he ended up getting into a rehab for gambling at that time. I don't remember. I don't remember who suggested it or how we got there. If we were with a counselor, I'm sorry. There's just so much I don't remember anymore. But he was going to go to rehab on this date. So now I have to tell my parents that this is going on. My parents have no idea there has been any physical, mental, any type of abuse at all. And now I have to tell them that. What does rehab look like? Is this like he's going away for 24 sevens? Yes, 28 someplace? days. 28 days. It was a place in Pennsylvania. And this is for gambling? It was a, um, a gam- it was an addiction for gambling and they, they did. So they were a specialty. They specialized in, in um, police officers and firefighters and doctors that got addiction problems. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Considering the fact that his mother was dealing with alcoholism, did he go down that path too? When he went to rehab, the first 72 hours, there's no contact whatsoever. He called me after the, the 72 hours and he, when he called me, he said, um, yeah, I had a rough three days. And he said, you know, with growing up with my mother being an alcoholic, I always thought I would know if I was an alcoholic and I didn't know. And he said, now I know that I'm an alcoholic and a compulsive gambler. How about that? There's a revelation. Yep. I had about had it when he was going to rehab. And I remember I had to drop the kids off at my mother's house. He wasn't living in the house then. I'm sorry. I forgot. I had, I had kicked him out and he actually left, but he told me he would start arguments with me just so I would kick him out. Oh, that was one thing I was, yeah, that was awful. So when he was, he came to the house because I, we had to drive there. It was, I forget how many hours, several hours. And my kid, I dropped the kids off at my parents, told them what was going on. And I came back to the house and he was coming there after. And so I was getting into his car so we could take this drive to drop him off at rehab. And, and there's a sombrero in the back seat, you know, those big Mexican hats. Sure. And I'm like, what the hell? What's the story behind that? He said, I, I oh yeah, I went and met Michelle last night for, I said, oh, I said, I said, what? Michelle is, was like my sister. 
I didn't have a sister and she was, I was 12 years old when she was born. She lived next door to me and she was my sister since the day she was born. Evidently, when I kicked him out, he was staying at Michelle's house and they had gone out partying together. I was very shocked and I was livid. And I went, so by the time I got to Pennsylvania to drop his butt off at the rehab, I was, you know, sayonara. I left and I went back home and I was so, so angry. And I was very involved in our church. I had a lot of friends there. I had a lot of spiritual advisor, you know, like, so this one lady who happened to be a recovering alcoholic, she said, Patty, you need to get to Al-Anon. And she said, there's a meeting in our church today. It's such and such time. I think you should go. I'll go with you if you want. And I said, no, I'll go by myself. You know, I'll go. I promise I'll go. And I sat in the meeting, my first meeting, I listened. They were talking a lot about compassion that day. And I had none left. I had zero. I had zero, zero left. And yes. I actually left that meeting and was feeling bad for him. Oh, really? It really did that to you? did. And I, I, I left the meeting. I went home. I packed the bag, picked my kids up at the sitter's house, put them in the back of the car and started driving for visitation the next day was was visitate the visitation at the rehab. I forget how many hours it was. My neighbor had put together a goodie bag for the kids and they fell asleep before we even got out of the state. I found a hotel. When we got there, it was pretty late. When I had dropped him off at the rehab, they had given me a packet of stuff and, and you know, they asked me if I was going to come to visit. And I said, and I think I said, hell no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Never read the packet, but I still had the packet with me, had the kids, got the hotel. Kids were thrilled with the hotel. They had Nintendo and I didn't let them play that. So they were beside themselves that they got to play Nintendo. Woke up the next morning, I don't know, six o'clock, seven o'clock. And I open up the packet and I start reading through the packet. And I come to the part where it says, if you do not give your name to the rehab, you are not allowed to visit. And I, I had a, I had a breakdown here. I drove five hours with two little kids in the back seat and, and to telling them they're going to be able to see their dad. And now I'm not going to get in. So I'm probably hyperventilating at that point because kids are like, what's wrong, mommy? And I'm like, it's okay. Just play the game. Called the rehab and I was probably screaming at the lady. I said, I said, you know, tell me, you know, about this. And she said, yeah. She said, if you're not on the list, you, you can't come. I think I was having a little bit of a breakdown. She said, hold on, hold on. So she put me on hold and she comes back. Sorry. This one still tears me up. And she says, you're, she says, you're on the list. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at that. We'll come to find out. Somebody gave you a little bit of mercy. You know, he was filling out paperwork with some other guy that was there. And um, and he was like, visitors, no one's coming to visit me here. The guy said, listen, you have to put down everybody you know. Because if they're not on the list and they come, they can't get in. And so he did. And that's how they got in. <clears throat> yeah. He, uh, so it was, you know, after... I don't remember how many days he had been there. It was definitely after the 72 hour detox. So happy to see the kids and the kids, kids were happy to see him. So that, that was my, what I learned a little bit about compassion. I came across the letters he wrote me, which were probably the real him, but. At least momentarily. Exactly. Momentarily. 
So, you know, after 28 days, it's time to go pick them up. And yes, I didn't bring the kids. I went and I picked them up and, oh, actually they had another counseling session. And then I started to go to Al-Anon as many times a week I could go. So we left there. And I think the first time I remember driving all the way home, we stopped somewhere for lunch, but, you know, driving home, I noticed all the billboards were full of alcohol, 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 billboards everywhere. It's like, wow, I didn't realize that before. Then you know, we stop for, for lunch somewhere. First thing they ask you, you know, hand you an alcohol menu and what do you want to drink? It's like, wow, you know, I never noticed that. I remember getting home and then actually it was going to be his birthday shortly after that. And he was going to be turning 40. So I, I was like, geez, you know, how do you throw a birthday party? No more drinking. So I didn't have any, any alcohol in the house. Yes. I remember if he was working or whatever and the girls came over, Every they would bring, you know, they would bring wine and I would have wine with book club or whatever we were doing. And, but I would never put the bottles in the garbage or in the recyclable bin. Cause I didn't want him to know that there was alcohol in the house. So I started hiding anytime they would come over under the sink. Mm-hmm. That's for later. There's a story about that. So there's, there's some bottles under the sink. Yeah. He comes home and we pretty much, I think everything is, oh, he went there and everything's going to be all right now. Everything's going to be just great. I want to say, uh, I don't know how long. So he started going to meetings and and um, and stuff. Things were still not, you know, I mean, he was still pretending like things were going to be okay. And um, they weren't. You know, one of the things I have written down, you know, I just how cruel he always was. He just, he, you know, he anything he could do to hurt me, he did. I was sitting in an Al-Anon meeting and I listened to this guy. He was young. He was probably 20, 21 years old. And he was talking about, you know, his father, bad of an alcoholic and how, you know, he was violent and always beating his mother up and everything. And he said, you know, I knew my father was an alcoholic and, and beat my mother. He said, but my mother became crazy. My mother became insane from everything that was going on. And I thought, oh my God, I don't want to want my kids growing up and thinking that of me. That I'll never forget that, that day, you know, talking about that. I can see how that could be one heck of a turning point because if you get to that place, it's not that you saw it coming or you let it happen. Like you knew it was coming, you know, like one day, maybe you just are not thinking very clearly and you're making really scary decisions. And it's like, what happened to me? And everybody else around you is seeing the same thing. So you could picture yourself going there, you know? Absolutely. And then I, I definitely became, you know, a great detective because I had to check everything. I had to check, you know, by then we had cell phones and I had to check cell phones and I had to, you know, any type of mail that came in the mail. I mean, before he went to rehab, I also found he had some credit card bills going to the police department. They didn't even come. He had changed the address there. So I didn't even know about him. So we started trying to figure out how we were going to get rid of the debt. That was my job because I was like, I was not going to have my credit wrecked because of him. We were going to fix it. (laughs) Somehow we were going to fix it. We took a home equity loan out and paid off all the credit cards and we were debt free. Didn't have any, you know, it was, it was all clear, but you know, we didn't have any money, any extra money for anything. So I remember checking the credit card bills and there was some unusual charges on it and and I said, what is this charge? And it was for a pizza place in the town where he worked. And he said, oh, I met Michelle at such and such. And I was like, what? Why would you be doing that? You know, uh, the charge was like 20 something dollars instead of like, say, $10 for, you know, dinner or whatever he said he had. So 
Now I'm like, Michelle again, what is what is going on with this? So um, I told her to come over. Oh, wow. So she came over and I said, listen, I said, I don't know what's going on. And she said, nothing's going on. I said, nothing's going on. I said, why every time I pick up his phone, your number's there. Why Why is it that you're going to lunch with him? I said, I don't know anything about this. I said, you don't call the house phone anymore. And I had gotten a cell phone not that long before and I didn't use it a lot. But I said, what's my cell phone number? She couldn't tell me because she if she was calling me, she was going to call the house phone. Like, I mean, why are you calling him? Right. So it, that was really a strange thing. And it continued. And then there was money missing from the bank. And I found out that he paid for an abortion for her. Oh, my God. And I was like, why? Why would you, if it's not your baby, why? It doesn't even make any sense, you know, and not putting anyone down. But she wasn't the most attractive girl. And she was my sister. And when things had continued with finding her number on his phone, I called her and I said, you know what? Stay out of my life and stay out of my kid's life. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I don't know what is going on, but this is, that was pretty bad. I think at that point I was ready to move on. I filed for divorce in 2004. It was like March. Actually, my dad had given us money to actually gave me money, but for us to buy a pool for the house for the kids. I had that money in the bank and I hadn't gotten the pool and Paul kept asking me about the pool and I told him, no, it's, it's going to my attorney. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Yeah. I had put it in a separate bank account. So I did. I went, I, I met with an attorney. I think one of the things that happened right before that was, you know, supposedly he was going to these AA meetings and I was getting suspicious. So I said to him, you know, I don't think you should go tonight. You know, of course he was it was a good excuse for him to go out. It's, I thought he was going to go get help. So, so I said, you know, I don't think you should go tonight. I think you should stay home. Oh, okay. Okay. Shortly after that, I had walked outside and he was talking to somebody in the bushes. Can't get out tonight. She doesn't want me to go. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you ever see who the uh, occupant was in the bushes? I did not. Wow. Did not. That's tough. So, yeah. So I, so I filed that probably didn't make him too happy. Was the drinking back at this point? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the gambling. It was, oh, that was the thing. So when I started opening the bills and I found Michelle's thing on, on the credit card bill, I realized there was a bank account I didn't know about. And it was at this credit union. It had my name on it, though. Oh. So my old boss had wanted me to come back to work for him. And I had told him no. But when this started going on, I... I called them up and I said, I'm in. As long as I, I can be home to get my kids off the bus, you got me. And he was, all right. So I went to work that day and I remember waiting, waiting for the seconds to get out of work because I was going to go to the credit union. I went to the credit union and I walked in. I had never been in there before. Gave him my account number, my, my ID, and told him I wanted copies of the statements. As I was standing there, it's printing and I could see casino, casino, casino 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 oh my so he was having some of his his paycheck went into that bank account and then the rest of it was in another bank account so it was kind of separated where i he didn't think i was going to realize so i left there and i i couldn't breathe i remember driving in the car and we had a mutual friend at that time i filed for for divorce and and he was he went and stayed with this guy bill Bill was from church. 
I called Bill and I was having a breakdown all the way. And he's like, you need to pull over. You need to pull over. So I did. And I, I, you know, had a little breakdown and went back home. He had a take home police car. So his car was in the garage and I got the keys and I found cash, cash in the trunk. And I forget there was some other stuff in the trunk. Obviously he was, you know, hiding his gambling money in the trunk. Oh yeah. Oh. So I was staying in the house, but he started messing with me every month with money. So I didn't know how I was going to pay the mortgage. I couldn't pay it by myself. You know, I had gone back to work, but oh, I was a stay at home mom before that while the kids were little. Finally, I couldn't take it anymore. And I just said to my attorney, can I just move? He said, you can do whatever you want. I said, okay, I don't want the house. I don't want it. I, I just went out of here. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it, you know, to get an apartment. My close friend in town, her husband, when they got separated, lived in this duplex not too far from us. And she said, you know, he's moving out. So and I went to look at it and I said, yes, yes, yes. And she actually, she gave me the money for the deposit and security. She gave me my freedom. Like I, I never felt so free before in my life. And I counted the days down that I could pay her back. I just was so thankful. You know, it was just such a gift. Where were the boys at this point? They were with me. They were in, in, in the house with me. Okay. It was almost Thanksgiving. It was actually, it might've been Thanksgiving and I was, the boys were helping me downstairs packing. Oh, we had told them that we were getting divorced. They were up, very upset at first, but by this time when I was packing, they were used to that this is what was going to happen. I was in the basement and the phone had rang upstairs and my son said, mom, it's Shell. And I'm like, Shell uh, who? He's like, Shell, Shell. And he hands me the phone. And I think it was probably the first time my kids ever saw me flip out as I was, I, I said, uh, why are you calling me? Oh, I just wanted to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I go, happy Thanksgiving. Are you? I said, did you not remember that I told you never to call me ever, ever? And I was like, and then I was screaming never to call me again. And I said, I mean it. I said, and stay away from my kids. And I hung up. My kids were just like, oh, mommy's lost her marbles, I think. Mom's pretty mad for good reason. They never knew why, but, you know, they knew it was something bad because um, it was it was pretty bad. So that was November. I moved out December, December 11th. I'll never forget. I just moved into the house and I had, I used, I'll tell you, I had an army of friends from town. I had some wonderful friends and all their husbands showed up with their trucks and they moved me to the duplex. And Paul was so angry, so angry. And he was upset that somebody had taken a box of CDs that were his. And I was like, I don't want them. You can have them. I don't know where they are right now, but I, I promise you I'll get them back. That night, kids were sleeping and I hear like, all this noise at my door. What the heck is that? So obviously he had been out drinking. He was obviously out of his mind. So remember those bottles I told you about I would put under the sink when people would come over and I would never yes. put them in the yes. bin and forgot about them. And he brought them all over to my new house and started throwing them at the door. Oh my yeah, God. like like I was oh. the alcoholic now because I was hiding bottles. But the real reason was I didn't want him to know that, of course, you know, that there was alcohol in the house. And the, when the girl, I'm sure he knew when the girls came over that we were drinking wine. It was me. It was me that was hi hiding him, you know? So I was like, oh my God, this, you know, and now I live next door to a landlord. The first night I was living in the house, the kids were sleeping. He's at my door throwing the bottles. Now I have a landlord that lives next door because it's a duplex and I'm, it's pretty late. 
and I was freaking out and I opened the door and he was uh, very angry yelling at me about the bottles and everything else and you took my CDs and calling me every name in the book and I was just like oh my gosh this is like my first night in this house and Mm -hmm. I called my girlfriend's husband he was friends with Paul to come down and help me and then he threatened to kill me I thought what am I going to do I covered for him for so long what am I going to do I didn't want to call the town police because I knew they would they would haul him away so I called I was calling his department and so I called there and I got one of the guys that I know and I said listen Kenny this is what's going on I need your help I need to talk to somebody now he took off he was in a cruiser and he threatened to kill me and he said I'll get the commander right away <sighs> so commander calls me back now granted he's in a in a town car intoxicated doing this stuff I tell him he threatened to kill me and he said I've never known Paul to be violent before. <laughs> I said, I just told you he threatened to kill me. Yeah. Now, all the all the years of covering. That's not helpful. Um, no, he wasn't helpful. And all the years, I, I did it to myself, all the years covering that. Now, I'm actually calling for help and nobody is listening. Right. Nothing came before that. That's right. No, about a year after that, I... I came across a program in the state that the police were doing. It was a state police. He was doing this domestic violence program. And I reached out to him because he, I forget exactly what he was talking about, but I just said, you know, you should include, you know, I said, I was married to a a police officer who this was going on. And I said, when I asked for help, I didn't get help. I said, what you need to realize and what other commanders and chiefs have to think about is that when a wife of a police officer is asking for help, it's really, really bad. We have covered and covered and covered and it's at, we're at a point where it's, it's not good anymore. Yeah. There are hundreds of times when you pulled off, didn't do it. Exactly. Like, Oh, so many times, so many times. and, And, and here you are now and then nothing happens. That was my welcome to the new house. You know, after, uh, shortly after that, it was tough co-parenting with him, really, really tough. I remember going to open house at the kids' school. That was December, so it was, it was just, it was, everything was just awful. It, he was very, he's very sick, very, very sick man. Oh, just like the, the sickness just seeped through everything he would say or do. I mean, he was relentlessly texting me and calling me and harassing me and just constant, constant, constant awful. My kids were, were eight and 10 then about that. When I moved, it was awful. I get back, we get back to the, get back to the, to the, the gambling and stuff. He didn't stop gambling. So when I moved out, he was living with Bill, but he moved back into the house and he thought he was going to be able to keep the house. And I was like, you know, whatever you think, so Bill was, he was an unusual man. So now who is Bill? Bill is, is a friend from church. Okay. Who had like befriended Paul and Paul was staying with Bill while we were separated. He was kind okay. of being in the middle between us. Like I, I think I said, I was telling you, I called him on my way home from the bank that time when I found all the new credit card withdrawals. Yes. Credit union. Yes. Yeah, so he kind of he kind of threw himself in the middle of almost like acting like he was helping and stuff. And 
you know, when we, when I first met him, he's such an unusual man. And I think it was like one of those things where he was like talking to somebody else and you're like, Oh, well, he's talking to him. So he's got to be okay. Kind of person, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but very, very unusual man. And so anyways, I was, you know, had filed for divorce. We were getting divorced. And so he like put himself, I'm trying to remember how this started. He called me one day and he said, listen, I have to tell you something. And I was like, what? And he said, I have to tell you something. Paul's planning on murdering you. And I was like, what? And I said, I don't even know what to say. Like, so I got on the phone with my attorney and he said, you know, come in to my office. So Bill was very close to our priest at church. They were, they became really good friends. So my priest got involved and he's like, you're not going home and you're going to drive this car. We're going to get you a hotel and you're going to go there with the kids. So we know you're safe. Okay. So now, and I had to go to my attorney's office. So we get in the car and we're, we're going to, to the attorney's office and we get to the attorney's office and all these other, all these other things come out at the attorney's office. You know, they're asking him, he was talking about cement and all this, like this, this story, like, and I was, I was scared out of my mind, but then like not believing it kind of like I, I didn't, I was, it was just bizarre, but you know, everyone's like, you know, you need to do this. You need to do that. Okay. I'm okay. I obviously, I don't know what to do. So I'm just listening to everybody. Who are you listening to? Your, your attorney's there, but who else is there? So the attorney the paralegal who's taking down all the information, okay. they were, I don't know what paperwork they were trying to get together, probably for the kids and me, you know, for him to stay away from me. Yes. But what's the cement part? Yeah. That, that's what, some, that's where my body was going to go. Like he was going to put my body in cement. That's what Bill was saying. He said. Okay. So Bill's telling you or he's telling your attorney? He didn't tell me that on the phone. He's telling the attorney that the details now of how he said he was going to do it. It's just a bizarre Okay, so he's got listening to the whole the whole plan. We got the yeah. shovel, we got the <laughs> concrete, yeah. cement, and not that I've yeah. studied such stuff, right. but okay, mm-hmm. yeah, know. yeah, that's amazing. This ends part two of three parts with Lori and Paul. In the next and final episode, the relationship gets meaner and hits its climactic end. You do not want to miss part three. Thanks to my guests for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed. Through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.